If you will, please uh, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Teaching will be from James chapter 4, 13 down to James chapter 5, verse number 6. For those of you that are visiting, we've been doing a series on the book of James, looking at um, spiritual maturity. Um, James is concerned with spiritual maturity. He wants us to be spiritually mature. And so um, he's been developing that theme throughout the book. And so this is our second to the last um, uh, sermon or teaching on this uh, book. If you want to put a fancy term on it, this is the penultimate um, uh, portion. And then next week we'll finish up the book of James and then we'll get into our um, resurrection series. We're going to be looking at resurrection and the atonement. As I mentioned earlier, um, if you know, after the service, it, it's always a good practice to take this bulletin and when you go home, use this uh, as a way to worship uh, privately and in your family. And if you're reading through this uh, portion of the book of James, I highly recommend you read Psalm 36 um, along with that. It's just, it's been a joy to see how the Lord connects his word in our hearts and in our minds. All right, with that said, let's look now at James chapter 4, verse number 13 down to 5, number 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Well, for you are a mist and appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl, for the misery that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be the evidence against you and when eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The word there for host, by the way, is the concept of Sabaoth, meaning the avenger. The Lord will be their avenger because of the injustice meted out against them. Let's continue to read. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted, fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. Of all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade. But the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen. And amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time we have today. Oh, what a sweet worship already. We got to sing our praise to you, that we got to see what you are doing through our brother Chris and the wonderful work that they, him and the, his job, his company, his nonprofit, um, they're doing to protect marriages. Lord, bless the work of their hands. Increase that because you love marriage. You have ordained it as the building block of every society. Oh, Holy Spirit, now come. You know our hearts. You know our frames. You know what we need. I've put together a sermon, yes, but you can speak in ways that I cannot. And so I pray that you do. I pray that you do. Be with us now, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week, um, we looked at the book of James in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1 down to verse number 11 or 12. And we saw James introduce us to a concept, and that concept is the concept of covenant. But he cast it in terms of a marriage. And James says that our relationship with God is no mere casual relationship. Oh, no. It's a covenant. It's the strongest covenant that you could think of. It's the covenant of marriage. And in the same way, marriage changes us. It grows us up. That the person that we're married to, they, they change our habits. They, they influence the way we think, the way we act. They give us a sense of purpose and meaning that we didn't have before. In the same way, being in an earthly marriage, if you have married rightly, that person would be a great encouragement to you and helping you. I talked a little bit about how my wife did that for me. How much more, how much more for those of us who are in covenant with God, who is perfect, his love, his passion, his desire towards us, grow us spiritually. What an awesome concept, beloved, that we are in union with Christ and there are benefits to that. We get eternal life. We get more grace. We get more love. That's awesome. You are in union with Christ and that relationship is no light relationship. Christ alone, Jesus alone should influence the way you think, the way you act, how you live and move and have your being. We are not our own. We can't just do what we want to do. We can't act the way we want to act. We can't think the way we want to think. We are in union, and that fundamentally changes who we are. James says that if you name the name of Christ, you should be different because you are in a covenant that's different. Wow, what a profound reality. And so now today, James turns to another thing, another concept that can ruin us spiritually. Remember, James has been concerned with helping us become spiritually mature. And along the way, he's been pointing us to realities that show our spiritual immaturity, attitudes and actions that can cause us or derail us from being spiritually mature. He's warned us against using anger, channeling anger and frustration to work the righteousness of God. He says that will destroy you spiritually. 
he warns us about showing partiality because he says that will destroy us spiritually. He warns us about the power of the tongue because he says that will uh, destroy us spiritually. And now he saves his most scathing rebuke, his most stern warning against the accumulation of possessions. And you might be sitting there and thinking, well, pastor, doesn't the Bible call us to work and provide for our family? Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Of course the Bible does. Doesn't, doesn't Paul say any man does, that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel? Of course. The call of the gospel is for us to provide well for our families. For us to make sure that our families are well taken care of. If you're single, to make sure yourself is well taken care of. And you also are called by the gospel to share your possessions so that you might be able to provide with uh, for other people. So the accumulation of wealth, that's not what James is necessarily uh, railing against. We ought to be able to provide and save so we could provide it for our families and provide for others. But the gospel also warns us against something else. The accumulation of treasure. What does Jesus say, by the way? Jesus says, where your treasure is, finish it. Of course, there will your heart be also. There will your heart be also. So what's James warning us here? He says, yes, he knows that we need possessions to provide for our family. But James is also warning us against the accumulation of wealth. You know, one thing we're bad at as Christians, all of us, I'm not just picking on some of us, all of us are bad at this. We don't know where that line is. We don't. And if we think we do, we're kidding ourselves. You do not know where that line exists. That line that says, I've made enough money to care for my family and provide for others. And that line that says, I have way too much and I need to give it some of that away. We don't know where that line is. That line's fuzzy. How many people do you know have sacrificed their spirituality, their family, their friendships, their very lives on the altar of wealth accumulation. And the reason why they did it is because they thought they were providing for their family and they were go doing a good thing. None of us know where that line is. But thankfully, we have James. He's going to be our pastor today. And he's going to teach us where that line exists. And he does it by way of a rebuke. But I'm going to show you how within the rebuke, he gives us a clear path of how you as a Christian could know that you're accumulating wealth for your family and to give to others. And when you know that you've accumulated too much and it's become sin. And this is important because one leads to blessing, spiritual maturity, and the other leads to death. Because the accumulation of wealth chokes us out. So here's how we're going to divide this today. First of all, James warns us about the habits of those who lay up treasure on earth. And then James warns us about the heart of those who lay up treasures on earth. First of all, 
Let's look at the warning regarding the habits of those who lay up treasures on earth. James gives us a picture of these people. When you know you've gone too far in your wealth accumulation and your desire for possessions. First of all, notice in verse number 13 of chapter 4. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such, a ta- such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. What is James saying? You know you've gone too far where you construct your entire life around making money and accumulating possessions. If you read uh, in our uh, men's Bible study uh, Saturday mornings, we've been going through the book of Amos. And in Amos chapter 8, Amos rebukes the wealthy and those who wanted to accumulate wealth by saying, they, you know, they said, look, I can't wait until the new, the new moon is over and the Sabbath is over. In our terms, it's like you're sitting in the pew and say, I can't wait until church is over so I can go and do this and do that and make money and put myself in a better position. They construct their entire life so they can make money. They don't think for a moment how their lives revolve around their Christian community and how they can help those within their Christian community. All they care about is how they can make money. In this passage, these people are saying, look, I can't wait to go to this other place to make more money. I can't wait to work 90 hours, 80 hours, how much ever it takes because I want more. This is the attitude of someone who doesn't understand what enough is is and so all they do is plot and scheme for more they're obsessed with more wealth go down to chapter 5 and verse number 3 it says that these people lay up treasure you have laid up treasure in the last days in other words they live their lives saving up as much money they can they're constantly looking at their bank account and seeing how much money they have and how much more they can grow it they're obsessed with their 401ks they will always want to put it in a better position so they can get more money these are people that are obsessed with possessions and wealth they're like the man in Luke 12 who he has all of these barns and he's looking to build more barns, greater barns. Why? Because he wants to accumulate wealth. Notice also in verse number 5 of chapter 5. James says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. In other words, these people live for pleasure. What do they use their money for? Pleasure. They don't pause and think how their wealth was given to them by the Lord to be a blessing to others. Again, again, this is where careful prayer and going before the Lord is important because I'm not saying it's not okay for you to go on vacation or for you to do something to be a blessing to your family. But keep in mind there's a fine line between how you use your money for pleasure and how you use your money to be a blessing to others. And we are no good at understanding where that line is. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to hem us in and to help us to understand exactly where that line exists. And James tells us 
if you use all of your money to relax and to eat and to be merry, of course you are using your money inappropriately. Now to us Westerners, it seems like James is being unfair here to people of means, but he's not. This is a, James is, is evidencing a fundamental understanding of resources. I'm very indebted to the writers of a book entitled Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes because they've helped me understand this. See, the way we in the West look at money is vastly different from how James in the East looked at money or in the middle, in the ancient Near East, looked at money. We look at money as if it's an unlimited resource, right? Anyone could become wealthy. You could become wealthy if you just work hard and stay disciplined and village college and all this stuff. That's how we look at wealth. Everyone can get wealth if they just try hard. But in James's day, wealth wasn't an unlimited resource. Wealth was a limited resource. It's like a pie. And if you took the larger slice of the pie, what were you doing? You were depriving others of that pie. We could even see it in this passage. Notice with me in chapter 5, verse 4, this accumulation of wealth. How did they accumulate wealth? Chapter 5, verse number 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. How did they receive their wealth? By defrauding others. We call this the sin of commission. The active defrauding of others and taking of their wealth. Now you all might say, well, Pastor Dennis, I've never defrauded anyone for my money. I've worked hard. Praise the Lord. I'm happy to hear that. But there's another kind of sin that James is pointing out here. And it's the sin of omission. Look at it in verse number five. James says this, chapter five, verse number five. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. What is James saying there? The sin of omission that they committed is that they didn't pursue generosity. They saved all of their money and they didn't think for a moment how they can be generous who they can give their resources to. And by the way, we're not even just talking about money, but who do we give our time to? Who do we give our efforts to? Who do we give our talents to? We spend so much time pleasing self, going about doing our hobbies, planning our trips, spending money on ourselves. And James says that we need to be careful because the sin of omission might be in place where you're not using the same, the same passion by which you go to pursue your own desires. You're not looking with that same passion about how you can provide for the needs of others. That's their sin. And you know, now that I think about it, the best example of this in scripture is the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. That's who James is talking about in this passage. People like him. You, you all remember the story, right? He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what might I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, you know what to do. And he starts quoting him the second table of the law. And, and if you're not careful, you'll miss in Mark chapter 10, you'll miss the fact that Jesus turned covet. He didn't say covet. He said, don't defraud. 
And, and that was intentional because Jesus knew that the rich young ruler obtained his wealth by defrauding others and by lack of generosity. And what does he say to Jesus? Jesus, all of these things I have done since my youth. And Jesus says, oh, really? Sell all you have and give to the poor. What genius. Because what is Jesus saying? If you truly have done all that you were supposed to do, like you're purporting yourself, then you would have no problem giving back all the money you've defrauded others. Oh, my goodness. Now, some of us might look at that and say, that's extreme. Why would Jesus ask him to give away all his money? Why? Doesn't the law say, just pay back what you stole? No. No, because he came to Jesus asking Jesus for something profound, eternal life. And Jesus says, if you want it, and if you're serious about it, give back all the money you've defrauded. And by the way, that's not extreme. That's actually normal. Because when Jesus called each and every one of his disciples, he said, follow me. And they did it. The fishermen left their nets and their boats and they followed Jesus. Levi left his lucrative business and they followed Jesus. What Jesus was asking the rich young ruler is nothing else that he has asked everybody else up to that point. If you truly love me and you truly want eternal life, then you will follow me. That's not extreme. That's normal. And what's sad in our day is these things that are supposed to be normal, these things that are supposed to be a part of the Christian life have become extreme. Why? Because we've gone extreme in the other way. And by the way, the man that was standing before the rich young ruler, he was getting ready to give everything for him on the cross. So what Jesus was asking him to do wasn't extreme. Oh, it was so normal. Now, what does the Bible say after he did that, right? After Jesus tells him to give everything away, what happens? The Bible says he walks away sad. He walks away sad. It's one of the most depressing scenes in the entire Bible that he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him and he walks away sad. You know why he walked away sad? Because Christianity for him, the gospel for him, his religion, his faith, was just something he did. It wasn't who he was. You know, that's a great definition for a habit. I remember reading that one time. A habit isn't what you do, it's who you are. And for this rich young ruler, his faith was something he just did. It wasn't who he was. And that's why when Jesus says, give everything you have away, he walked away sad. Do you want to know why so many Christians are walking around sad? Why people come to church and leave church sad? Because Christianity is something they do, not who they are. Because if Christianity is something you are, what seems extreme will be perfectly normal. Because you are in union with Christ, and in him you should have everything you need. You lack nothing. And I can tell you, I've lived in the South long enough, and we have a lot of cultural Christianity. A lot of people where religion is what they do, not who they are. And 
and they're walking around sad. Because when the demands, the imperatives of the gospel come, first of all, they're not rooted in the indicative. They don't understand who they are in Christ. And so when they read the imperatives, they walk away sad. They walk away profoundly sad. Because they've missed the fact that Jesus is not calling you to do something. He's calling you to be something. And what he's calling you to be is in union with him. And if you take that seriously and understand what that means, that produces a way of living that brings life and joy and blessing to all. All right, real quick. I know that was a mouthful. Perhaps I could stop there. But you pay me for more. Here's the second thing. Notice the heart of the hedonist. And we could say so much more about that. I always tell you I feel like I rob you at the end of the service, right? Because there's so much more in there. But we got to press on. Notice the second thing. I want you to notice the heart. He's warning against the heart. How do we see the heart of the, peop- the person that tries to accumulate wealth for profit? How do we see that? Notice with me in verse number 13 again and then in verse number 16. James says, look, look you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. As it is, in verse number 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So what is the heart of someone who pursues or lays up treasure on earth? Well, they boast in their treasure. They boast in the things that they have. Now, you and I, when we think of boasting, sure, we think of arrogance. You think of being full of yourself. But in James's day, boasting was like a war cry. It was a statement of war, right? It, it's, it's something that people said right before they, came, they go into war. Uh, I don't know if you all ever watch Braveheart, but it, it's a fictional movie. And, you know, Mel Gibson uh, plays a character. I'm not glorifying Mel Gibson. He's on a border of sanity. But, um, but Mel Gibson uh, plays William Wallace. And, and the Scots came, and, and they're getting ready to fight the English, and the Scottish men say, oh, you know, there are too many for us. And, and Mel Gibson uh, gives them a speech, and he says, you men, if you run away now, you'll die a thousand deaths. You'll die over and over again. But today you have an opportunity. And he stands up, and he's on his horse. Sorry, he didn't stand up. He's on his horse. He's riding around, and he says, they might take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And everyone's like, yeah. You know, you feel like a Scotsman then. Like, give me a sword. I'll run into battle. Right? That's, that's boasting. And why do you think they're boasting? Think with me for a moment. Why do you think they're boasting? They're boasting because they understand what war is. See, fathers fought with their sons, and they fought with people in their community. It would be like me going into battle and knowing that me and Josh, we're going to be fighting side by side. And I might see Josh be run through with a sword. I know that Kelly would be a, a widow and his sons would be orphans. Or vice versa, too, not just Josh dying, but, you know, you get the point. Or or a father, a father would know that his son would be killed. Or you know that you would have to kill someone else, and it was a bloody affair. There were guts everywhere. 
a head would be chopped off, an arm would be on the ground. People would be begging for their lives. Imagine you know that to be the case, and right before you enter into that battle, think of how anxious you would be and fearful you would be. And so what they would do is they would give a boast. And that boast was supposed to call you to something greater than who you are. That boast was to give you the confidence and the energy to face the meaningless and hopelessness of war. You needed to boast in something because you realize that you can't boast in yourself because you have no control over the battle, who dies and who lives. And you yourself was afraid for your own life. That's why they boasted. And incidentally enough, that's why inside this text, the rich are boasting in their riches. You see, you and I know the meaningless and hopelessness of life. And so what do we do? There's two things we can do. Number one, we can boast in our looks. We can boast in our talents. We can boast in our accomplishments and what we have right? We could find comfort in that. We could find hope in that, in ourselves. But James reminds us that that is folly. That's actually foolishness. In fact, in Jeremiah 9, 23, the Lord says this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Paul sums it up like this. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, we are always tempted to boast in ourselves because we need something to boast in. But the call of the gospel is that we not boast in ourselves. Why? James tells us in this passage He says in verse number 14 of chapter 4, Yet you do not know tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. What is James saying here? James is saying in the grand scheme of things, don't boast in yourself because ultimately all of your accomplishments, all of your talents, all of who you are, ultimately will come to nothing. In fact, if you go over to chapter 5, he says it. All of the riches that you strive for will be, will be eaten up. All the silver will be corroded. All the treasure that you treasure up here on earth will be gone. They're all meaningless. So don't boast in those things. Instead, boast in that which is eternal, the Lord. Why do you think Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. What was Paul doing there? He was boasting because the heart needs something to boast in. If your heart needs something to boast in, don't waste your time boasting in yourself. Spend your time boasting in the Lord because he alone is our boast. Now, I have to end quickly, so I'll end with this. Becky Chaplin, every time I talk to her and I get off the phone, right before I get off the phone, she always says, Pastor, what's the big takeaway of our conversation? And I have to think, I mean, I said a lot, so I'd always give Becky a few statements, right? 
And so I thought, oh, man, that's a fantastic idea. What a way to end the sermon. So here's the big takeaway. Right? If you don't remember anything else from this time of teaching, our time together, remember this. What is the number one characteristic of the rich, those that lay up treasure in heaven in this text? If you read through it, you'll see it. They take. They take. They take money. They take land. They take. They're takers. That's who they are. That's all they are. They want more. Now ask yourself the question, what's the number one characteristic of Jesus? So good. Not because it's from me, but it's because it's from him. His number one characteristic is that he gives. You know, one of the most glorious verses in the Bible, and I know I say that about every verse because that's the truth, but in Romans chapter 8, Paul says of God, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how can he not with him freely give us all things? He gives. He gives you more grace. He gives you gifts. He gives you mercy. We have a savior that's opposite of the wealth seeking of this world. Instead of take, 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 your savior gives, gives, gives. To use a statement that my daughter often says, Jesus makes it rain. He makes it rain. He constantly is blessing you and giving you all the treasures and riches of heaven. You have a savior that makes it rain. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Dennis, doesn't Bill Gates give, a, give away a bunch of his money? Doesn't, doesn't like all these big, wealthy people give away a ton of their money? Absolutely they do, and we shouldn't stop them. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. All those wealthy people that give away their money, you know it's one thing they never do? They never give away all their money and become poor so that you might become rich. But we have a Savior who was rich, and for our sake, he became poor so that you might become rich. And the call of the gospel is that we do the same. In the words of my daughter, Christian, what's the big takeaway? Make it rain. If you don't know what to do, give. Give your money, give your time, give your effort. Give, 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 give. You spend a lot of time seeking stuff to buy. We know. I've seen your Amazon account. I don't. I'm not a missionary. But I do know this. You could spend that time giving. Giving. That's the big takeaway. Now let's pray. Father, whew, Lord, um, not only are we slightly over time, but... Um, but, Lord, we're slightly overwhelmed. Uh, the call of the gospel is for us to give, and that's a big task. It's a godlike task that we cannot do, save, but through Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us to be givers, not, not grudgingly, but because we understand that we have a God who has given us everything, his son, and therefore we are called to give everything back. Help us to do it, but help us not to be selfish. Help that to be our pattern and our habit. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.